This is Dr. Aaron Kuzel, and this is the Louisville Pre-Hospital Care Podcast. Now that we've talked about ketamine analgesic dose, what about with the term excited delirium or what is uh, uh, severe agitation with delirium? Uh, most crews in EMS use the intramuscular dose, three to four milligrams per kilogram, and that is an intramuscular dose. Can we talk about why it's so much higher intramuscularly and uh, as this is most likely what most of the Jefferson, Jefferson County crews when they use ketamine are going to experience? Oh yeah, absolutely. Ketamine is the unsung hero in agitated delirium, I believe. Um, <laughs> it's one of my favorite drugs. It's it's gaining traction. You know, I'm, I'm I constantly every day try to get the poor residents out here somebody to give it because I think it's as far as excited delirium and things go, it's by far the most predictable thing that I can give somebody. Now that being said, I know you're going to disagree with me on this one, but I think droperidol is a little bit safer with less side effects than ketamine. Now I know droperidol is not just a safe drug in general, but I'll, I'll go toe to toe with you on droperidol versus ketamine for agitation. You know, and I, I don't think I'll argue with you on that one. As you know, I think through it as a side effect profile and things, you know, droperidol is way safer. It really is just the savior of emergency medicine. <laughs> it really is. It really is. It's, uh, the, it's my favorite drug. It's what you take on an island with you. It's ketamine, droperidol, and an antibiotic. Yeah, just pick your poison on the antibiotic. <laughs> but yeah, I think most emergency, that's my top two as well. And then, you know, we could argue doxycycline or real safe. <laughs> but yeah, you do bring up a good point. I think maybe where I'm coming from is those patients that have already failed that. And I yeah. think we see a lot of that in the emergency department. You know, we... It's almost predictable when a bad batch of some sympathomimetic meth, meth. makes it through <laughs> Jefferson County because droperidol versus none of it works. And it's, you know, I, I think that's probably where I'm coming from. If it was a first-line agent, absolutely, Koozie. Give me the droperidol. Right. <laughs> but when the droperidol fails, I'll take my ketamine. That 3 to 5 milligram per kilogram dose is it's a it's a huge dose, especially when we just got done talking about 0.3 milligrams, and you know I'm scared IV that at 30 milligrams somebody's going to dissociate, and then yeah. you and then you go well Nick now you're telling me to give 400 milligrams to somebody, and, I, right. and my answer is absolutely. Just and this a, is intramuscular. Intramuscular. Yeah. Intramuscular. Yeah. Do not give this IV. You will have, have a bad time. You will have a bad time. <laughs> Just to nerd out a little bit on like pharmacy stuff, so kind of like the way that we think about drugs and we're trained. When we think about drugs, there's there's something called bioavailability. So bioavailability is exactly what it sounds like. It's at a certain amount of time, what percentage of that drug is available for the body to use. So when we think about this, we look at time zero all the way out till however long you want to look. The other axis, what we have is percentage, right? If you think about the amount of drug that's available for the body to be used, obviously intravenous is going to be 100%. It does not matter what you give. As soon as you give the drug into the vein, 100% is available for the body to use. So that's why the dose is completely different. So now follow me to the muscle, right? So when I give this in the muscle, it's not going straight or directly into your circulatory system. Hmm. It's got to leach in. It's all, you know, it's got to go through muscle. It's got to be absorbed. And then once it's absorbed, then it, it, it's almost like a slow process. So all of that drug's not available for your body to, you know, go apneic on <laughs> at time zero. <laughs> it's there, and it's going to slowly leach out into your stream, bloodstream over time. 
Now, that does bring up a good point. You know, people that are beefier or more muscle or more fat or things like that, that does affect how intramuscularly it's going to be absorbed. Um, So it's kind of a catch-22. Yeah, I get this safe, I get this relatively safe release of the drug over time. However, things within the person can make it speed up or slow down. So like a really muscular person, it's going to go in fast. Somebody with a lot of, you know, subcutaneous fat, it's going to take longer for it to get through all that. So it's really variable, but I say all that to say this, that whenever you give something intramuscular in general, it's going to be safer because you don't have that 100% slap right off the bat of the drug. So when you do it IV, 100% of the drug is available at, a, at like time zero. Time zero, Whereas yes. intramuscular, it almost goes over a certain amount of times, and it peaks at certain levels of time. So you still need to watch these patients and make sure that they still don't go apneic. Because at certain times, you could be three minutes to four minutes into transport when they finally calm down, and you could still see them having these side effects of ketamine. Yeah, correct. So if you wanted to look at that same kind of curve I was talking about, this would look more like a bell curve. Mm -hmm. So, you know, slowly release, then you get more and more into your circulation, and then you eliminate it over time. Okay. So that's why the dose is just a little bit bigger. Well, actually, let me back up. It's not just a little bit bigger. It's It's tenfold bigger. bigger. Um, So, yeah, the... You know, these are great drugs for, or let me back up. So ketamine actually is a great drug, I think, for excited delirium for those patients that, um, you know, they, they fail your first-line therapy. So, you know, the, the ideal situation would be, you know, you get, not an ideal situation for anybody. Right. But the situation would be you get, you know, your 10 of IM versed per protocol or 5 IM or whatever your first-line agitation response is per protocol, Right. And then five minutes later, three, five minutes later, however long that might be, usually we wait about five minutes before we start doubling up in the hospital on, on sedatives, especially if they're extra violent. We'll give them, I give them about you know, three to five minutes and then, and then reassess at that point. So I think that's a fair estimate. So a lot of times you will be given this as like your second line agent. The dose that you're going to be given would probably be you know, somewhere into the middle of your transport. Now, I will say this as a caveat. Here in Jefferson County, we do have people that, or we do have very strong meth that comes around every now and then. What? I know. No. I know it's I know it's a shocker for you. Oh, my God. There are people that we have literally had to intubate just to facilitate their exam that we have tried this with. So, you know. Well, they were just so tachycardic to like 170, and their yeah. blood pressure was 210, and we could just, no matter what, droperidol, yeah. ketamine, regardless, we had to put them on a drip to get them you know sedated enough to get them in a comfortable position that they weren't going to stroke out yeah or even just like to even ct their head just to make sure they hadn't <laughs> they stroke, stroke out. out yeah so you know for a pre-hospital setting and somebody that's super combative and you've given them 10 of im versed i don't want to give you any kind of picture that this ketamine might do anything at all because that is a lot of drug and if they're still going bananas to the point you're having to fight them after that, I have little faith that ketamine will do anything. What I have seen, and you know, this kind of backs up into the excited delirium part, not to scare anybody out of using it, but what I have seen is mm-hmm. somebody that I'm trying to sedate, then I give them that huge dose of, you know, dissociative ketamine. And now they have that emergency. And now they have so the emergency. on top of everything yeah, else. Well, they, yeah, they never dissociate. Well, they dissociate, but they're now methed out and they're on ketamine. And it's horrifying. Yes. And they fight everything. Like, you you know, the, the meth, most times somebody has at least a toe on the ground, maybe. 
but you give him that ketamine, and it, it like all all bets are off. The gloves are off. You're never going to control this patient. And at that point, it's just get as many people in the back of the ambulance and and transport to the hospital. Yeah, and then we'll try to do whatever we can. Do its best to try <laughs> yeah. to get that patient um, in yeah, a better but, better situation. Yeah. So as I say all that to say this. I think you know in the ho- in the pre hospital setting, they're certainly safer and more. Or I'll just be blunt about it: safer options to to give somebody. But you know, in the right patient, it it does work very well. But I feel that in, you know, most of the patients you're picking up with excited delirium that are refractory to your first-line therapies. So I, I would use it in caution in those patients. Um, and some other patients that I would probably use it in caution with, you know, you, you did bring up the good point about tachycardia, hypertension, things like that. So ketamine will make your heart rate increase. So essentially when it starts its action, it's a sympathomimetic. It has a lot of nor, or norepinephrine, epinephrine dump. Mm-hmm. into your bloodstream so you get that tachycardia and you get that hypertension essentially and somebody that's already in that state it's it's kind of a tough sell to tell somebody that you want to try something that's going to make that worse especially when you have no work up to go off of right so it's also a tough sell i mean i think it's i think it's good that you guys would have access to it but i don't want to paint a picture here to tell you that i think it's going to be the savior, the end-all, be-all of combative patients. Absolutely. Here at U of L, we've actually did a study on droperidol and Versed, and it had really good success with that combination. And uh, there was a whole practice-changing uh, award, even though the data was only 84 patients. It was still like a practice changer at ASEP's scientific assembly. Yeah, and I and, and we do have to give a, a shout out to our colleagues that were part of that research it was a great study and it's still changing practice across the country i still have you know i go to journal clubs that talk about that study still so it one it's pretty cool but two i feel like we've kind of pushed ourselves into the front line of agitation control Um, because as you guys know we 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 certainly have the patient population to study (laughs) and you know and that shout out to pauline uh, theman uh dr jessica javid and uh, it was martin hecker right yeah martin hecker the principal investigator and then um, uh, Dr. J- or Josh Sin, who is also Sen, yes, a, a pharmacist, pharmacist, and then uh, David Roy, who is also a pharmacist. Yes, all within the U of Health system. Yeah. Uh, you might see uh, David Roy at uh, Jewish now, Jewish. and then also Pauline at St. Mary and Elizabeth. Oh, or yeah. Mary and Elizabeth. Hospital. Mary and Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah. I can't make, oh, God forbid, I get those old things. Yeah. It's like I still call Norton Children's Cozare, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like if, you, if you grew up in this area, like that's what it was referred to, and that's what it's always going to be. It's like Cozare. Right? Yeah, yeah we, so. we don't change much in Kentucky. So yeah. you did touch about some of the um, adverse effects yeah. with ketamine. Let's talk about a little bit more about what other adverse effects we should look about and how do we treat those and how do we deal with them when we've already given the drug and we just got to now do our diagnostic workup and try to uh, alleviate that adverse effect. Gotcha. You know, we've kind of hammered home the two the two probably most troubling side effects. The one, apnea, we all know that. There isn't a reversal agent. You could... No. Don't pull out your Narcan. I did say it had opioid activity. It will not work. It will not work because what you're really fighting is is twofold there. So you're never it's it's an uphill battle. Narcan's never going to work. So that patient really needs respiratory support. So. And that's the same thing with laryngospasm. If you push it too fast, you exactly. can get a laryngospasm where the uh, the larynx and the the epiglottis actually covers over the airway. Now it's really it's terrifying to see yeah. i've seen it twice and it's absolutely <laughs> terrifying when the patient's oxygen sats just stop to just start to drop during its sedation um, but the nice thing is it's a pretty easy thing to treat 
we just bag them. Get your BVM, get oxygen, um, stop the ambulance, and get your partner to help you to get them through that point if you need to. You don't want to be handling this on your own. If you have someone in the back that can help you, absolutely. But you want to bag them. And other things that can be good is OPA is probably not going to work for you, uh, oropharyngeal airway, because they're probably still going to have their gag reflex intact. They may not. So I would reach for a nasal pharyngeal airway. A nasal pharyngeal airway is a wonderful basic airway management, and it works great with patients that have apnea and laryngospasm um, during um, a ketamine administration. Bag them, BVM, nasal pharyngeal airway, if you're not getting a good seal, those are all ways that you can just bag them through this. It's going to take a couple minutes to get them back to breathing on themselves, but that is the best treatment for them. Yeah, and... Uh, that's a good point and well brought up. Usually, you know, when we overdo, quote unquote, overdo it in the emergency department, mm-hmm. most of these people just respond to a jaw thrust. Yes. Most of the time you can get their air, like, you know, get get them to start breathing back on their own. Um, the most I've ever seen somebody just go completely out of it is five to ten-ish minutes. I feel like ten is probably still a stretch to even say that. Yeah, I would say that's more of a it's, it's an acute period that you're going to have to, you know, be attentive to their airway. Um I feel like, you know, you bring up a good point. The the MPA is, is a great tool in these because it goes in quick and you can pull it back out when the patient is starting to wake back up. In our sedations, the patients that, you know, we have issues with, that's kind of like what our treatment protocol looks like. And that's important to mention end tidal CO2. Absolutely. Because we use that all the time when we're doing conscious sedation. And I think that's a great tool, especially yes. when they're starting to get to that point of either analgesics or to that uh, intramuscular dose and they start to relax. I'd put them in an end tidal if you have that. Uh, because you're going to see the end tidal drop and then stop breathing before you're going to see that pulse ox stop to drop, start to drop. So getting that end tidal, you can start to see that they're going downhill or having some type of apneic or um, laryngospasm response. And so when you see that end tidal drop, you can already start moving of getting your BVM ready and uh, getting your adjuncts ready in the back of the ambulance. Yeah, and like the, the goal of this should should be to, you know, if it stop your patient from desatting ever mm-hmm. and a lot of times you know if you, if you do have that end title hooked up it's it's pretty easy to look and say you know my patient isn't breathing and i can intervene at this point whereas you know instead of waiting until they're at 88 and dropping quickly before you have to intervene so i think that is that's a well brought up point about having your patient on end title to avoid those um so yeah those are really like i outside of that i really can't think of anything else that's super troubling about you know acute side effects that could potentially harm the patient those are our really big ones yes and emergency reaction we've already talked about here um, earlier in the podcast on how to deal with it when you're looking at adverse effects especially when you're coming to apnea there are many times we've had crews when you're talking about that vial 500 milligram vial and accidentally pushing the full syringe. We've had many crews have done who were supposed to give an intramuscular dose, who give an uh, intravenous dose. Uh, and we've had crews that have given, you know, the, a, a large intramuscular dose that was double the dose. Or we've had crews that have given just because they're not really great at guessing the weight. And I don't blame them because I'm not good at guessing the weight too. So I think it's important that we talk about these adverse effects. And if these happen and you use ketamine in your protocols, um, how to get past this troubling. And because, you know, after you take the turd out of my back pocket, you know, (laughs) from from (laughs) having someone that's going apneic, uh, you want to be able to take care of them and and get them a um, good resolution and, and get them through that apneic period. Yeah, absolutely. That's, you know, kind of the reason we're covering these as well. And, you know, you did bring up a, a good point. The The human error rate is not zero. I've made mistakes. We've all made mistakes. Yeah, You're going to make a mistake, you know. I think part of that is being prepared to when 
what will happen when that mistake happens. Yeah. So I'm not saying that anybody here is you – know, you might go the rest of your career and never have an adverse drug re- event, right? And great, great for and you. And great for you. That's not been my story. I've done this no. six years, and I don't want to talk about it. Right, exactly. <laughs> now we're just, we're just bringing it up on podcasts that we've made mistakes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. Uh, so it's going to happen. And, and, you know, that's calculated into law and, you know, things like that is, you know, there is going to be a degree of human error. So, yeah, just knowing, you know, if this were to happen, this is kind of what it will look like, and mm-hmm. this is what would happen. Um, and w- would you talk more a little bit more about some of the smaller adverse effects? I shouldn't say smaller, but less serious um, adverse effects. Yeah, so yeah, I think this will go back to kind of what I was saying in the beginning. You know, if you go online and you read, you'll see a thousand adverse of- effects of ketamine. Um, throughout time, we've found that most of those are not really clinically relevant. And what I mean by that is like, yeah, it does this, but... It really doesn't matter yeah, in the it's long not run. Clinically relevant in an emergency be. standpoint. Yeah. So I'll go through some of the the ones that are older that you'll hear people say that have kind of been debunked. Um, so the big one is it's unsafe to use an intracranial pressure. It does increase your intracranial pressure. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about that. Yes. We we know that it does. But the effect of that doesn't really seem to have a downstream effect. In fact, our neurosurgeons are actually okay yes. with us using ketamine for RSI. So you know. And if you have any experience working with those guys, like if they're okay with it, then it's probably fine because they are very picky about what drugs you give their patients. Absolutely. Um, so, and you know, with medicine, even though they're okay with it now, you know, another paper comes out in two years, and now we're away with it. Yeah, again. or a, or an, or a podcast or something. <laughs> it becomes a hot button topic again. Everything cycles in five years. But yeah. So, so you'll hear people be like, "Well, you don't want to give them." The ketamine because it increases their intracranial pressure and your response would be yes it does but not to a clinically uh, relevant degree i mean if they look like they're herniating from a motorcycle accident and their pupils are yeah. blown, i probably <laughs> wouldn't use ketamine um but is, yeah. you've got other problems in addition to that yeah. i don't think you're worried about their analgesic dose at that point yeah exactly and that's a fair point also one you know I just gave you the information that it does increase intracranial pressure do that what you want if it's part of your practice to never get it then that's probably okay. If it's part of your practice to always give it, I think there's some enough evidence to substantiate that statement. But yeah, like you know, within reason. If I pull up on a on a motorcycle that his heart rate's 40 and his head or his heart rate's 40 and his blood pressure's 200, there's probably a better option. So um, that's one that you'll always hear. The next one that you'll always hear is intraocular pressure. So mm-hmm. this will increase intraocular pressure. So also, it's it, it will. Um, but even our ophthalmologists here kind of agree with the literature stance that ketamine's probably okay. Um, they're okay with us using ketamine for conscious sedation even on their patients. So that kind of gives you a realm. Like, yes, it While does. While they're doing the lateral canthotomy. Yeah, which is probably <laughs> – we can go into sedation and why that's a bad idea. Um, but anyways, yeah, so they're okay with it. So those are like some of the troubling ones that you'll see people say. Um, so outside of that – those are really the two that, you know, there's clinical controversy that I can think of in emergency medicine outside mm-hmm. on That's the top of my head. Yeah. Outside of that, um, you're going to increase someone's heart rate. All yes. right. Absolutely. It happens with everybody. It's predictable. It's going to happen. I've seen it go all the way up into the 150s, yes. and we don't treat it. I think that's important to know. Yes. It's, don't, don't be scared if it looks like SVT. Uh, get the EKG. If it SVT, obviously treat it, but most of the time this is going to be a ketamine response on top of their already tachycardia. So you want to just give fluids and transport. Absolutely. Um, 
and I say that because it does come up with you know when we when we are sedating people, you know they'll be like, well their heart rate just went up by forty, and everybody in the room's like, yeah, yes, and we have to talk everybody off the ledge. Right. So I think it's worth mentioning. Um, having said that, you know you're going to have an increased heart rate, you're going to have an increased blood pressure. Yes, it's absolutely predictable. I've seen it in the order of twenty all the way up to forty millimeters of mercury in their systolic. I mean it, it, it's very profound. Again. This is a transient thing. I don't think you should start reaching for antihypertensives because you gave ketamine and their blood yes. pressure gets up. Um, because what happens is, is okay, their blood pressure goes to 200, then you give your labetalol or hydralazine or whatever you have on your truck. And then their blood pressure goes down, but then the ketamine comes off and then you're hypotensive all of a sudden. Right. It's a transient property right. of ketamine. So it's only a temporary problem when it comes to ketamine. Right, yeah. So those two things absolutely you will see happen um you can see some hypotension and maybe bradycardia i have personally in my practice i've never seen bradycardia from ketamine but it is mentioned in the package mm-hmm. insert. it is um maybe i have seen hypotension we've given you know ketamine to people that are 60 over dead before it's really hard for me to gauge hypotension in that setting but yeah. in a normal healthy person i've never seen hypotension yeah. So I think that's worth noting. Um, outside of that, you know, you can you can see all these different things, you know, like the emergence reactions, weird dreams, euphoria, dysphoria, things like that. And ketamine is even now being treated for acute suicidal ideation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and depression is a long-term therapy. So it's being used not only in emergency medicine and pre-hospital care, but also in the psychiatric world and in psychiatric medicine. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm kind of – because I'm a pharmacist and I'm kind of in the, in the drug realm, I will say that, that that research is actually very exciting stuff mm-hmm. because it is. A, lot of, a lot of that stuff, you know, those, the, the patients are refractory and the ketamine does give them hope. And that's saving patients from having to sit and linger in the emergency department. You give absolutely. them a dose of ketamine – and then you can send them. We're, we haven't got there yet, yeah. but it's exciting to see that we might get there in in some uh, few short years. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, and I think like you know that's probably why ketamine gets so much gets so much coverage is because it really is kind of the jack of all trades in emergency medicine. You get pain relief, you can get sedation, you can. I mean, just the whole gamut of things. You can, we've brought some of the trauma surgeons on board. When I first started training, you know, ketamine, oh, we were all very skeptical. And in four years now, it, it, it seems like some of the trauma surgeons are more on board with the use of ketamine in the trauma bay. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, in the trauma bay now. Like, I don't think they'd admit that to us. No, but. absolutely not. Whatever we give was going to be the wrong, the wrong call. <laughs> uh, but anyways, yeah, I, I, you know, it's kind of neat to just kind of see its progression throughout emergency medicine because I feel like, you know, especially when I started training, it was kind of at the forefront of like when we're starting to use it for more of these quote-unquote cowboy things and we've really seen it just grow and you know i was kind of there at the beginning to see the experience with it so well nick thank you so much for being part of this podcast and being part of this project i know uh, people who are listening to this are going to be very appreciative of learning a little bit more about ketamine um, and all the different side effects and all the different myths and, and troubles and, and uh, uh, troubleshooting that we have to do with ketamine. Even though it's not in most protocols here in Jefferson County, I know it's on the mind of lots of people. And so um, I appreciate you coming out. I hope we can keep on doing this. And uh, thank you again. Yeah, because yeah, I really appreciate it. You know, the, this whole project kind of came about because we were, you know, talking about, you know, ways to educate people and how to get out there you know and there's there were several ideas but I f- we felt like this was probably the best way i really do appreciate everything you guys do i really look up to you guys you guys are really the heart and soul of 
emergency medicine because everything you guys do predicts what we're going to be able to do so so thank you from the bottom of my heart and you know if you guys ever see me in room nine you ever see me in any of the other hospitals and you have a question i'm a pretty approachable guy i might talk too long i might give you too much of an answer i know like when i'm training when i'm training residents they'll ask me something and i'll start yeah i know well they'll they'll start talking and i'm like going into the nitty-gritty like as far like basically saying everything i know and then they're just like you know moonwalking away from me like, <laughs> okay buddy that's not <laughs> too much we're good thank you <laughs> yeah but once again thank you guys for everything you do and until next time awesome till next time and remember everyone please stick to your protocols and follow your protocols and stay safe out there this is aaron cuzel at the pre-hospital podcast <laughs>